Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you today. I want to just echo what Pastor Mike said about our new beginnings. Uh, two years ago, we set out to try to raise some money to help get over in this building. And uh, I'm thrilled, as he said, the money that was given. And I want to personally say thank you. Uh, as it was a three-year campaign, we're starting year number three. And my wife and I have renewed our commitment. And I hope you'll join us. We're going to get that playground for those kids. And then we're going to whack out that mortgage that we owe and uh, get ourselves back to being debt-free. But I appreciate that very much. And uh, I want to say thanks. Hey, I want to recognize some missionaries today from Indonesia, the Crosbys and Walkers. Will you stand up? Go ahead, stand up. Give them a big hand. Crosbys and the Walkers from Indonesia. And uh, we appreciate you being with us today. They're buying lunch for everyone after service. We'll all be at walk-ons. So if you want to get the tables, we'd appreciate it. Good to have you. Hey, turn your Bibles if you've got them. Uh, Revelation, actually, 1 John chapter 5. That'll be my primary text for the day. But we have been doing a series called Let the Worshippers Arise. I am thrilled you're here, whether you're uh, here live or whether you're watching online. Uh, the, let the Worshippers Arise. And it's been the answer to a series of questions. The first basic question is, what is worship? We then talked about what can happen when we worship. And the last time that I shared with you, we talked about the different ways. How do we express our worship to God? You remember we had the teenagers on stage, the youth band, the kids band. They did an exceptional job. But uh, today I want to address what I think is the most important question on the subject. And that is who or what are we worshiping? Now, Naturally, you think, well, you're worshiping God, of course. Yeah, but I want to show you that it's possible that people can be worshiping idols, and I don't mean little statues, that, that, because worship, as we'll see in a moment, worship is expressed by what we are devoted to, by what we or who we bow down to, and I think it's really going to be helpful to you. Revelation chapter 4, verse 7, as always, the Bible tells us the answer if we'll look. An angel said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Then what? Worship him. God has chosen to reveal himself in the masculine gender in the Bible. I don't need anyone to call God a woman or mother or anything like that. God said he is Father God. I embrace that. I accept it. Worship him. Worship the one true God who made the heaven and the earth. Revelation 22.9 simply says, worship only, which implies that we can worship other things, other gods with a little g, and not even be aware that it's happening. Now, again, it seems obvious that God should be the object of our worship, but what I want to show you today is there are other things that we can worship in life. 1 John 5.21 is our text, and it's... This little short book of John, five chapters, the last verse is what I'll read. It's the oddest verse, I think, that closes any book of the Bible. Because he says a little phrase that's mentioned nowhere else in his book, but it speaks volumes. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols, another translation, from false gods. But here's the translation that speaks to me today. Little children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Isn't that a great interpretation? 
keep away, guard yourself from anything that would take God's place in your heart. And what I want to do quite simply today, uh, this is going to be a challenging message, a strong message. It's not a, it's not a shouting message, but I want to help you guard your heart so nothing and no one becomes more important than God. That's the message today. That's what I call my truth for today. I want to help you to be able to take an honest look at your life and see if there's anything or anyone that might have crept in. And the way that we'll look at this, I want you to imagine my hands are a teeter-totter. And under the teeter-totter is a fulcrum called passion or devotion. And what we're looking for is for God always to be first and the things of this world second. But what can happen is sometimes the things of this world, whether it's our job, whether it's our passion for politics, whatever the case is, it can almost imperceptibly begin to take God's place. And this is what I want to focus on today. I'm going to look at three points. The first one is that God alone is to be worshipped. And I'm going to help you broaden this idea of what worship is. Uh, worship of other gods is idolatry. And the next one is probably the heart of the message, modern-day idols. I'm going to move your thinking away from the literal little stone idol that people used to worship to what could be an idol in my world, in our world today. And then lastly, how do I know if there's an idol in my life and what should I do if there is? So let's continue part four. And uh, here we go. Tell your neighbor, I'm glad you're here today. Yeah, some of you were thinking I should have come last week, but <laughs> let's begin. God alone is to be worshipped. Worship of other gods is idolatry. Now, I want to take you to the Ten Commandments. There was a day when I was young, the Ten Commandments were, were placed on the walls of our schools. A horrible tragedy occurred in America in the late 60s when the Supreme Court stepped in and removed the commandments from the schools. My heart has been deeply burdened for the two murders that happened recently in our city. A young man that went to Texas high school, got in a fight around lunchtime, got suspended, met the guy out in the park, big brother shows up and he kills him. They're having a Halloween party at uh, one of the venues in town. Somebody gets mad at somebody else, pulls out a gun, kills one person and wounds nine other people. You see, there's consequences. In, in this case, when our Supreme Court took the action of removing the Ten Commandments, one of which says, there is a God, but number two, the other says, thou shalt not murder. And we have taught people that they have the right to do whatever they want to, whatever they feel like doing. We, we're going to talk more about this in the future. But I want to talk about the Ten Commandments, and I want to show you a little picture. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C., the Supreme Court building... The outside of the Supreme Court, on the top of it, there are, I think, 13 of the different lawgivers that have been influential in, um, in the history of the world. Uh, uh, Confucius is there. Mohammed is there. Um, Napoleon is there. But at the very top is Moses. It's Moses holding the Ten Commandments, and it's a recognition of the role of, of the Judeo-Christian heritage of America. This was erected in the 30s, so don't let anybody tell you that America has not had a Christian heritage. Don't let anyone tell you this lie because it is visible throughout the halls of Washington. But the first of these Ten Commandments simply says this. It's Exodus chapter 20. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make yourself an idol of any kind. 
And you must not bow down to them or worship them. Now, I want to explore this by looking at four definitions. God, little God, worship, and idolatry. Uh, I need a little high in my ear, sound man, if you can help me. Just a little bit on the high end. Now, when we speak of God, the one who wrote this, literally inscribed it with his finger on the, on the, uh, the stone tablets for Moses, and said, you shall have no other God but me, this God with a big G is literally the eternal supreme being. He is the only true God. Christians understand this and call this monotheism. There's not many gods. Uh, those that believe in polytheism, Hindus, for example, worship many gods. The whole, the whole culture of the Bible, Old and New Testament, was the worship of many gods and idols. But uh, God alone, he's the sovereign ruler of the universe, and he is the one that should be the object of our worship and our devotion. Now, there's a key word we've been using Obviously, in the definition of worship, that key phrase, bow down, implies not only kneeling, but an attitude of our heart. Well, the word I want to look at today, uh, worship is a multifaceted word in the Bible. The word I want to look at today that describes worship is devotion. Who or what am I most devoted to in life? Now, uh, the definition of God with a little g, it's a false god, a counterfeit god. It's an idol. But how about this definition? Anything people worship and are more devoted to than God Almighty. Anything that I would worship. Pagan religions in the biblical world made statues or idols, and they represented the powers that they worship. It was called idolatry. Uh, they're going to show you a little picture, but there's pictures of people. There's pictures of animals. Uh, they worship the Nile River. They worship the moon and the stars. These were literally little pictures of depictions of household gods. You remember Rachel, when she left her family, she took some of the household gods. Well, this is what an idol was, but uh, of course, Moses, remember, uh, he's, on the ten, he's on getting the ten commandments the children of Israel they make a golden calf it's an idol the god Molech in the old testament with a little g they would make child sacrifices to this god and literally he, he, it was burning and they would put their children on this idol as a sacrifice to appease this pagan false god now that's the old testament but let's keep following this now and let's see how worship flows into this if you remember, the comprehensive definition for worship that I gave you is worship is our devotion to God. And we express this devotion, number one, how we live, but number two, expressions of our worship. Clapping, kneeling, standing, singing. But the key focus here is the word devotion. Worship is my devotion to God. For example, let's say you're in a, a, a troubled marriage. And uh, you want out, you have a legitimate reason to be out, but you pray about it and you feel like the Lord wants you to be there. Well, as you stay in that difficult situation, that is an act of devotion to God. Uh, you're at work and everybody else is stealing. Everybody else, uh, you know, the fidges on, fudges on their hours. Or perhaps they steal some of the product, but you won't do it, not because you're afraid of getting caught, but because you're honoring God. Well, I want you to see this everyday action as an act of worship because our actions are our worship. Now, now, let me give you a new definition today. Worship can be our devotion to false gods or idols expressed by the way we live. Remember the little teeter-totter in the fulcrum? If God starts out at the center of my life, 
But then all of a sudden, maybe it's a hobby or maybe it's a job or maybe it's another person and they become more important than God in my life. I have begun to worship them and it's evidenced by my devotion. Worship is simply who or what we're most devoted to. What captures our primary passion? Again, it should be God, but it could be our job, our hobbies. It could be our possessions. And again, hobbies aren't bad, possessions aren't bad. But it becomes bad when this begins to happen in life, when God loses first place. It could be money. It could be science. You say, how is science God? How can science be worshipped as God? Well, my Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But modern science might say the earth was pre-existing or the earth was formed from a big bang and there is no God. Well, I would suggest to you, if you just default to science's definition and ignore God's, science has become an idol to you. How about causes like environmentalism? We'll talk about that. Should Christians care for the planet? Absolutely. But how many know we're not called to worship Mother Earth? How many know Mother Earth is going to burn up one day? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Um, uh, It could be causes like politics. How many know politics are important? I was thrilled this this past week at what was happening in in politics across America. How parents rose up across America and said, look, our children are not wards of the state. Our children, we have the primary responsibility. And you're not going to train them to be little communists. You're not going to train them to be racist. You're not going to train them to be haters. You're going to train our children, come on now, in the ways that are right and true that we think, not what you think, as some, you know, some, some hierarchy. Well, th- these can become idols. Um, uh, let's see. So, by definition, idolatry is worshiping or being supremely devoted to anyone or anything instead of God. A God substitute. So, I can make a God substitute out of my hobby. Uh, my hobby, whatever, the, and I'll get more into that. Uh, but we can worship a person. Uh, we can worship celebrities. I don't know what was happening in Houston a couple nights ago, but they had a, a concert. And in that concert, 50,000 people in one of the arenas in Houston, it was a rap concert. And uh, as they all began to rush the stage, I don't know if they were worshiping the performer or not. I know when I was a young, crazy kid, I would almost worship musicians back then. People on stage were treated like gods. Well, they rushed the stage. Nine people were killed and about 100 people were, were injured. But we can worship a hero. Well, we can worship a sports hero. You know, it's not a problem wearing a, you know, a sports guy's uh, shirt or their jersey or whatever the case is. But sometimes what started out a, a, as an enjoyment of a hobby that God gets less worship, less devotion, less time, less thought, less energy than the person. Do you, you know the Antichrist is going to be worshipped one day? Revelation 14 says anyone who worships the beast and his statue must drink of the wine of God's anger. In other words, holding this world leader in such awe, such esteem. There's never been anybody like you. Uh, You're the one with answers. You're the one we look to. We pledge our allegiance to you. These are words of worship. Uh, Ephesians 5 says that money or possessions can be an idol. Uh, Ephesians 5 says everyone who is covetous, that is An an idolater. Huh. To covet something, it means to strongly desire to possess something. 
Is it wrong to have the things of this in life? No. But we want to enjoy the things, not serve the things. We want to serve God, not serve the things. And we don't want to, we want to make sure that God is first and not that I have to violate convictions to put things first. I want to suggest we practice idolatry. If we give anyone or anything more devotion and commitment, that rightly belongs to God. We're, I believe we're idolatrous if we put our ultimate confidence in something other than God. I mentioned science. Can, we can put our confidence in science. How about government as our provider? I don't know about you, but my Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. But we are creating a culture now that mirrors what Russia was doing before she became a great world power. Russia was giving its citizens, all of its citizens, sums of money, arguably to supplement their income. But what happened is the state began to replace their work ethic. I mean, no, work is a biblical concept. I mean, no, the Bible says if you don't eat, you don't work, but work is not punishment. Yet in today, in America today, 100 million of us are out of the workforce. Work is God's gift to you to find self-expression and, and satisfaction in life. But we can, we can look to these things as God and perhaps idolatry. Now, you're not going to hear me today put my finger on something and say, this is how big a house you can have. Other than that, you're an idolater. This is the kind of car you can have or you're not. No, that is not my business. I simply want to cause you to think. Is anything in my life becoming more fun. I'm not even going to try to tell you how many days to turkey hunt. That's my hobby. I've, I've kind of gone by as many as I can, but I want to be, I'm always conscious, Jesus, I don't want that to happen in my life. I'm preaching better than you're amening. Let's get into the heart of it and talk about modern day idols. Now, our text for today, 1 John 5, 22, say this with me, little children, keep yourselves idols, false gods, say this with me, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. I'm going to ask you some hard, uh, hard questions, or I want you to ask yourself some hard questions today, but my motivation is to hopefully help you come to a greater commitment that nothing in my life and no one is going to be more important than God Almighty. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. So let's linger on that text a moment. When he says, keep yourselves from idols, it has both a literal and a metaphorical definition. The literal, of course, idol is an image or statue that's worshipped. But when we look at the idol as metaphor, and many scholars believe this, keep yourself from idols, they believe it's anything which occupies the place of God in our life. So the obvious question is, what place should God have in my heart? When I was probably up to, from my 20s to my 40s, the, my lifetime scripture was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I bet you know it. Say it with me. Trust in the Lord with, yeah, lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways. And here's the good part. He's going to direct your steps. So for a young man trying to find his way in life, <laughs> but how many know that's all about me? But along about 50, my life scripture changed when one day I read when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the entire Bible? What is the most important thing I can do? And it's not about how long to wear my hair or my dress or how many times to go to church. 
Jesus was asked the commandment, and, and he said the most important is the Lord your God is, uh, is the only Lord, one God. And look at verse 30. Love the Lord your God with, say it with me, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. What is that saying? Is it, that's simply saying, I want God to be first. Does that mean you can't work? Uh, no. Does that mean you're more spiritual if you quit your job and come to church? No. We only have so much volunteer work around here. You can work 60 hours a week and your job can be as offered as unto the Lord. It can be your platform of ministry. Or you can work 60 hours because you're trying to find self-worth and admiration and, and a sense of power and a sense of validity in life. And it can become an idol. I, I, I've got a little video from a church member. His name is Bert. And uh, Bert experienced a hobby that was very wonderful that started out here and ended up there. And he found it when he was seeking God about a tra tragedy in his kids' lives. I, I think this will speak to you. I'm Bert Price, and I just want to tell a testimony that happened to me a few years ago. Uh, December 8, 2014, I was on my dear lease in Lafayette County, which is a place that I spent nearly every day of my life. I, I'd had this deer lease for about 30 years. I'd built a big, high game-proof fence, and I spent a lot of time there. But on this day, my daughter called me. She was pregnant with Josiah, and she called me. She had been to a checkup, and she said, Dad, they found a pleural effusion, and they think it's serious. So I head to the hospital. By the time I got there, they had checked her into a room, and they had told her this was very likely heart failure or cancer. And so I didn't know what else to do but pray, and I prayed continually for her. I prayed morning, and I prayed when I went to sleep. I prayed when I woke up. A couple of days later, my son Caleb called me, and they were also expecting their first son, Ashton. And he said, Dad, we went and had our sonogram, and they said Ashton has holes in his heart. And if they don't heal before he's born, they're gonna have to do open heart surgery. So all I knew to do was pray day and night. And I thought everything was fine between me and the Lord. I thought everything was good. But I asked him one day when I was praying, I said, Lord, is there anything between us? Is there any hindrance? Is there anything that's hindering our relationship? And as I prayed, I saw that fence at the deer lease. And later that day I prayed and I said, Lord, is there anything hindering my prayer? And again, I saw that fence at the deer lease. Then the doctors a few days later said, it's not heart disease and it's not cancer. We think it may be lupus. A few days later, they changed it and they said, we think you have tuberculosis. And if you do, if Josiah has it, He's gonna die when he's born. And so I knew that I had a, an idol in my life. And so I told the Lord, I'll give this up, I'll lay it down, and I did. I walked away from the deer lease. I sold my deer stands and gave it up. A few months later on March 25th, Josiah is born perfectly healthy with no sickness and no disease. Carissa's been six and a half years with no symptoms and, and she's been perfectly healthy. A month later, uh, uh, Ashton is born and there's no holes in his heart. And I want to give God the praise for healing my family, but I also want to thank him, thank him that he loved me enough that he showed me what was standing between he and I. Well, I'll give him a hand. I hope I have that much courage if God asks me to give up something. But first, let me just say for all you deer hunters, deer hunters are not idolaters, okay? But you notice I didn't find a testimony about turkey hunters there just to be, just, just, just to be sure. You know, one of the greatest challenges you and I face in a world that offers us 
material prosperity and success is what starts out is God is first and foremost in my life. That thing that in his case, a hobby, he said, it began to define his life. It began to become the passion of his life. It took his time and it took his money. But what it did is un, uh, almost unbeknownst to him, I guess, is it was taking God's place. Again, are hobbies bad? No. Are leases bad? No. Are, uh, are you know, sports bad? No. None of it's bad. It's bad when this happens, when it takes God's place in our heart. Jesus warned us not to make anyone or anything more important than him. Matthew 10, 37, Jesus said, and listen to this, if you love your father or mother more than you love me. See, he, he's not saying loving mom and dad is bad. He said, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. And I bet you could add hobbies, jobs, turkeys, possessions, causes. I just got to, went to Mississippi for a couple days this week, see my mom and dad work on the farm a little bit. I love my parents. They're getting older. Well, heck, I'm getting older too. <laughs> but I went home. Uh, mom cooked. It reminded me of my childhood. I farmed with my dad. Uh, my dad tells me he loves me. It's one of the most meaningful things I hear. I can't wait to hear it. And I'm 64, but it, it does something to me to hear my dad say that he loves me. Well, I, Jesus is not saying, don't love mom and dad, love me. Jesus is just saying, love me more. Uh, yesterday, Rebecca, uh, Bethany came over. Uh, my daughter's on the front row today. Stand up, honey. Come on now. <laughs> Bethany spent a couple years in Africa as a missionary. But she had a little, has a little baby, and her baby's name's Mia, and she brought Mia by yesterday, and Mia's laying on the floor and talking to me, you know, communicating, and told me that I'm her favorite of all her relatives, and, you know, <laughs> all that kind of communication that goes on. We had a wonderful time. I, I love them. There's not anything I would do for them. If someone tried to hurt one of them, I would give my life. Yeah. I'd first, you know, let them know that I was a concealed carrier. And then I, I would give my life if I ran out. Are, are you with me today? But, but I would protect them because I love them that much. As much as I love them, Jesus said, be very careful. Don't make an idol out of a person. Um, Let me give you three examples or three categories of what can be possible idols. And I'm not saying they're idols. It, it, they're an idol if this happens. But I want to give you three possibilities to think about in your life. And again, it's not my job. I'm not trying to convict you, condemn you, or beat you up or anything like that. I'm trying to help you to make sure that nothing in your life, that no one becomes more important to you than the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the first possibility. I, I, I'm going to call it the things of this world. Jesus gave us a parable, Mark 4. It's called the parable of the sower. And basically the characters are this. A farmer is sowing seeds, and some of the seeds fall in four types of ground. And only one seed produces fruit. Well, that's in the natural, but the farmer is God himself. The seed is the word of God. And then there's four different types of hearts that receive it and the object is to produce fruit and fruit is what, I, what do I do with my life for God 
Pastor Mike showed those videos of uh, the people that went and served in the housing complex uh, uh, as an outreach to, to kids in our community. Well, guess what that was? That was an act of service to God. Some of you, you know, perhaps gave money today. That's a service to God. Some of you prayed around the altar. These are all things that we do that are fruit in our life. Now, listen to the parable. A farmer planted some seed and other seed, this is one of the four, fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. About a month or so ago, I, plant, I love to garden, and I planted some, uh, you know, some spinach and, and lettuce, and I planted some uh, um, turnip greens. And I don't know where these seeds came from, but weeds began to grow up. And it was like a carpet of weeds. It was so many that I could not pull them all up. But the good news is it frosted this week and that frost should kill those weeds. But if I'd allowed those weeds to grow, if the frost hadn't come, I'd have had to found a way. Because if I hadn't, they would have, they would have overcome the plant. They would have made that productive plant become unproductive. They produced no grain. They asked Jesus what the parable meant. And Jesus said, the seed that fell among thorns represents those who hear God's word but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries or cares of this life, by the lure of wealth, and by the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. So what's it mean? Satan is trying to tempt you with the cares of this life. What, are, what, what does this mean? You and I live in a world where we are so distracted by a complex world that has so many things to offer. If you're getting ready to buy something on Google, if you're like me, you want the best one out there and you want to pay the least amount for it. And you're liable to spend an hour or two of your life for something that's going to end up in a garage sale next year. It's just a complex world. We applaud it, but life is just insane. If you buy a house, the house of your dreams, you got to insure it, you got to fix it, you got to paint it, you got to clean it, you got to do. I mean, it just, these things can consume us. I, I, I'm thrilled with my garden. I love my garden. It's a hobby that I have. I love to do flowers. But, but, but if I'm not careful, it can consume my life. It's called the cares of this life. The second one was the lure of wealth. This is the bigger, better, more. I won't be happy unless I have what a marketer tells me I should have today. The desire for other things is simply a way of saying I'm not content with what I have. But these are things, and fruit, of course, is what we produce for God. Let me tell you, as a follower of Jesus, the Bible says we are not just a believer in the right theology. We're followers of Jesus. Come on now. We're here to serve him. We're here to spread his message. We're here to live for Christ. Earth is not our home. Come on now. We are passing through this place. We are going to a real place called heaven. And one of the great things, temptations in life, listen, we live in a material world. And let me say this, money and possessions aren't bad. You have to balance every scripture with what do other scriptures say about it. First Timothy 6 says God gives us the things of this world to enjoy. If you're driving a vehicle you really like, enjoy it. If you're living in a beautiful home, enjoy it. If you were able to buy something, you know, recently, enjoy what God allows you to have. Just don't let it do that. I've been buying little duck things lately to get ready to go duck, duck hunting in a couple weeks in case you happen to have a great place. I know somebody that would go with you. But, 
<laughs> but what I have to be careful of, I don't want this to happen and Jesus to lose place. Money and possessions are not bad until they obtain until obtaining and keeping them become more important than God. And they become a God substitute. And God becomes second or third. Now let me give you something that it's often a real challenge. How do I live in this world and excel? Because here's the deal, friend. If you're going to get ahead at anything in life, you got to go for it. If you've got a kid that's got potential, yet kid maybe is going to get a scholarship one day, I'm telling you from age four or five, you've got to have them in t-ball. You've got to have them in sports camps. They're going to out-of-town tournaments on Sunday, the Lord's Day. It is complicated. You've got to have them on the right protein power and get them the right cleats and the right bat and all that stuff. And you want to do it because you love your kids and your kids are passionate about it. You can either follow the crowd or you can see that pursuit as a way we're going to share Jesus with as many people as we can. If you're a sports fan, don't just be one that paints your face and yells for the team. Be one that holds up John 3.16, come on, when you go out on the field. If you're working, listen, you may be working 60 hours a week. That's what God's called you to do. God's called you into a business. It caused you to neglect a lot of things. Let me ask you a question. Are you working to get money? Are you working because God has called you in a job and that job is your platform of ministry and you're still working, you're making tires at Cooper, you're helping people in the medical, but you're looking for people in your sphere of influence that you can talk to about Jesus, that you can pray about, that you can help. You're looking for money to make money to fund your missions trips. You see, our job is our ministry. It's not just a place. And if you will begin to think about that like sports, if you will begin to think like Tim Tebow, listen, I don't want just people saying I'm great I want them to say John 3 16 is great that was worth the price of admission today uh, number two uh, another possible idol uh, causes causes uh, politics now I believe Christians should be involved in politics listen I hope people from our church run for school boards I hope, you know, we, we, our mayor got reelected in town, a dedicated Christian man. We need Christian leadership throughout government. But how many know politics can become your God? Politics is important, but it's not God. How about causes like social justice? That's a, a hot word today. Not quite sure what it means most of the time, but I tell you, it doesn't mean this. This is the greatest manual for social justice in the world. If you want to find, for issue, find how to solve the issue of racism in America today, come on, go to the book. Uh, what we're being sold today, a, a similar word is called being woke or wokeness. Uh, a simple definition is being sensitive to social causes. Listen, Christians should have a voice in equality. But how many know we're not for equality as the world teaches? That's communism is what's being taught in the world today, trying to make everyone equal. God did not make us equal. The man who had one talent, or the, the man that produced one talent, and the guy that turned over 10, he gave the guy with 10 more, and the guy with one, he took it away. I mean, the world thinks differently. And what they're doing in these causes is, is they're trying to make a, a new world order that's more important than God. Do you believe in environmentalism, Pastor? I absolutely do. God told Adam that he was to be a good steward of the earth. 
that he was to care for it, that he was to plant it. Well, we're to take care of planet Earth. But in modern environmentalism, and probably half of the dollars in this trillion-dollar albatross they just passed yesterday, that's not in biblical environmentalism. That's a whole other social, worldly agenda that's going on to foster godless agendas. But here's my point. You can get committed to any of these causes and many other causes, and that cause can become more important than God. That cause can lose a Christian worldview and take on a new world order worldview, and you can lose God in it. Colossians 2 verse 8, it says, don't let anyone capture you with... See, when I do this, I'm not scratching my ear. Tell me the verse. Empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. If all you do is listen to some of your favorite news shows, you're going to get filled probably with nonsense. But if you would read your Bible, come on now, and develop a biblical worldview of life and see the world through the lens of the Bible, you would know how to treat, how to solve the problem of racism. You would know how to, what, what's to be rightfully done for the poor. You would know what rightfully God's idea about work is. You see, the Bible shapes our thinking so the world doesn't get a hold of it. Listen, if we dedicate our life to a movement or an ideal other than Christ, we are devoted to an idol. I'm preaching better than you're amening today. Okay. Let me give you three categories of modern-day idols. Uh, or, or let me keep going on it. The first one, the first one was worldliness, uh, the things of the world. The second was causes. And this third one is probably the one that I have to watch the most. It's called... I call it the worship of self. It is self-exaltation. Uh, I would even go as far as to say the modern idolatry in America is the worship of self. You see, you and I have been raised in a culture of freedom and individual rights. Uh, we have the Bill of Rights. See, that's the difference between us and communist countries. We're built on freedom and rights. But how many know freedom and rights are not absolute? Our freedom and rights are under God. And if you can imagine, there's a little throne on your heart. The cardiologist can't find it, but it's there. And only one person can sit on my heart, either me or Jesus. Well, I want to live by the scripture in Galatians that said, I've been crucified with Christ. <laughs> Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So let's talk about self just a little bit, and then you can stop sweating and go to lunch. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it says, fools think their own way is right. This is why I have to examine my thinking compared to God's thinking. Judges said in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This is a danger, particularly if we are educated, either formally educated or we devote ourselves to study. Let me talk to you about this worship of self, and I want to give you three examples. The first one is what I call a godlike view of self. Some have called it a god complex. And let me illustrate it. Uh, have you ever seen the movie called Malice? The actor is Alec Baldwin. He's the guy that, you know, shot, shot a, a, a stage person recently and is in big trouble. But uh, I want you to listen to the pride and arrogance and superiority of this man. He's a lawyer in the movie. Peter, you listening? He's a lawyer in the movie. And 
uh, uh, there's a medical malpractice lawsuit, I assume, and these lawyers are questioning him about his God complex. Listen to this. The question is, do I have a God complex? Dr. Kessler says yes. Which makes me wonder if this lawyer has any idea as to the kind of grades one has to receive in college to be accepted at a top medical school. If you have the vaguest clue as to how talented someone has to be to lead a surgical team, I have an MD from Harvard. I am board certified in cardiothoracic medicine and trauma surgery. I have been awarded citations from seven different medical boards in New England, and I am never, ever sick at sea. So I ask you, when someone goes into that chapel and they fall on their knees and they pray to God that their wife doesn't miscarry, or that their daughter doesn't bleed to death, or that their mother doesn't suffer acute neural trauma from post-operative shock, who do you think they're praying to? Now, go ahead and read your Bible, Dennis, and you go to your church, and with any luck, you might win the annual raffle, but if you're looking for God, he was in operating room number two on November 17th, and he doesn't like to be second-guessed. You ask me if I have a God complex? Let me tell you something. I am God. Shazam. So what's the point there? Superiority and arrogance enthrones us, and there's no recognition of God. You say, well, that's a guy that went to Harvard and blah, blah, blah. You can have that same arrogance on the ball field. You can have that same arrogance as a supervisor at work. You can have that same arrogance. Listen, friends, when, whatever we do in life, there's just a sense of self that we want to replace with humility that says, I can't do anything without Christ, but in him I can do all things. In Christ, I live and move and have my being. He's the source of everything. Anyway, we're running out of time. I'm going to go quick. Let me give you the second one uh, about this self-worship. I, I do whatever I want is kind of the feeling. Now listen to Philippians 3.18. There's many who conduct, uh, who, whose conduct show their enemies of the cross of Christ. Now look at verse 19. Their God is their... What? Their God? Their God is what they crave. They do whatever their bodies want. Sex, hurt somebody. They think about only life here on earth. It's an attitude that says, I do what I want. Nobody tells me what to do. I determine what's right. That's why when somebody is offended, d d does that maybe sound like perhaps the modern transgender movement? I get to determine if I'm a man or a woman. I get to determine my gender. I get to determine my sexuality, whether I am, I don't, I don't even know all the terms. I get to determine whether I want to have sex with another man, with another woman, with both, with a dog, with, I'm the one that sets the rules. And if I'm offended by what you say, you shut your mouth. And if you don't shut your mouth, I will make you shut your mouth. That's this thing that we're talking about. I do whatever I want, and we lose respect for other people and to God. You're getting pretty quiet on me out there. 
How about this next one? I, and you're going to laugh on this one, but I, I worship the way I look. Uh, I worship my body. Now, let me say this up front. Everybody needs to look as good as they can. I spent a little time this morning trying to cover this body a little bit. I need a haircut, okay, but, but I, I did my best to cover in all the bald spots. You want to look as good as you can. My teeth are brushed and all, but we can go too far. Galatians 2.20, my old self has been, no, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Timothy 4. Train yourself to be godly. Training, now we're thinking about exercise in, in specific. Physical training is good. In other words, exercise, working out, it's not bad, but training for godliness is what? Much better. So here's a question I want to ask you. How much time do I spend looking good? I'm talking about at the gym, in front of the mirror, surgeries, dress, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, styles, the latest style. Let me show you a little picture of how it applies to my life. Now, I, I know, I know you can't see all that. Five days a week, I, I, I work out five days a week. I do. I, I, and I really, I don't care about how I look, but my arms look. What I care about right now is I care about my heart that it's going to keep beating. But there was a time when my life, my wife pulled me into idolatry. <laughs> no, Nick. We, we, we got an apartment at the gym. We, we quit our jobs. Now, I, oh, that's obviously a joke. Get some cut and paste and all that. And I am certainly not knocking bodybuilders, okay? Listen, if you got it, go for it. But when you're there, let it be about Jesus. When somebody says, How you, what do you do to look so good? Says, man, I live a clean life. I live for Jesus and I work out. Don't just tell them I take super X, Q, Y, Z, protein, pill, pop, peep, pop, 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 pop. Don't just tell them that. Bring Jesus in it. Am I okay with this? Well, if I'm not, you got to forgive me. I'm going to close. God first. So let me close with this. How do I know if there's an idol in my life and what should I do? Now, let me give you two things. One is very spiritual and one is very practical and objective. You can do with a paper and piece of pencil. The first I would say is ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And then if he shows you something, make a change. Remember what Bert said? Bert didn't even know it. Remember, he was the guy on the deer lease. He was just enjoying something that he didn't even realize that had happened in his life. But he pressed into God because of a crisis and God showed something to him, just like he'll show you. It's not weird. It's not spooky. Jesus said his sheep hear his voice. And God spoke to him. And when he realized it, then he did something about it. What we want to do is we want to get rid of or, or change it back. See, most of us, God's not going to ask to get rid of it. Most of us, God's just going to say, put me back on my place. So that's the first thing I tell you. But the second is, this is the objective one. Ask yourself, does God get my first and best or my leftovers? Does God get my first and best on my leftovers? And don't answer the question with a feeling. It's, it's a fa answer it with the facts. Look at your bank account and your calendar. Because here's a fact, friends. What we do with our time and money reveals our heart. And I don't say that because I want anything from the church. We have plenty of money. We're blessed. God's care for us. I'm saying it because 
what's, what's real in my life is where my time goes and where my money goes. And if you would even take the time to see is God first. Listen to what Matthew 6 said. Jesus was talking about food, clothing, and shelter. And Jesus said, say this with me, seek first God's kingdom and what? God. He didn't say, and forget what you want. He just said, seek first. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Above the turkey lease, above the hobby, above the car, above the job, seek God first. And if the Lord isn't first, it's time to make some changes before idols take over in our life. Come on, give him a big hand now. He is worthy of our praise. Hey, I'm going to have a closing prayer, but I'm going to ask you to just stay seated during this prayer today because we're going to baptize a dozen kids in just a second, a dozen teenagers. Pastor Cole has been working with these kids, but I want to ask you to bow your head just a second because as you do, I want to just suggest a couple things. I want you to first ask, Holy Spirit, is, is there something that you're saying to me? Is there an idol that's trying to take over in my life? Is there anyone or anything that I give more attention to than you? Because if it is, first I want to ask you to forgive me. I've broken the first of the Ten Commandments. But more important, I've broken the greatest commandment. I'm not loving you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to ask you to forgive me, and I want to ask you to show me clearly and help me make the changes I need to make. Lord, don't let me just walk away and let this word be stolen from my mind. Help me be a better Christian because I've allowed the mirror of God's word to shine in my life in Jesus name Amen let me give you something to practically put this into practice put Jesus first put him first on your calendar by giving him the first and best few minutes of the day let me tell you how I get out of bed when I get out of bed in the morning I take about 10 seconds maybe 15 and I get on my knees and I say, Lord, I can't do anything without you today, but I want to do your will today. I commit my life in your hands. I'm off to the shower. Uh, I get breakfast, and then I go, and here's what I want to tell you. Read your Bible and pray. Make that a point with God. If you want Jesus to be first, give him a little first and best of your day. The second thing goes right along with this. When you pray, pray about God's priorities before you pray about yours. You remember the Lord's Prayer? What, would, what did the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our... So when did I pray for myself? Second. I first prayed, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life today. See, this is your purpose. This sets you on a course that Jesus is first. And lastly, practice what I've been practicing 40 years. Honor God with your tithe, the first and best. Because if God has our calendar, if he has our resources, and he has our heart, listen, there's nobody and nothing that's going to become more important than him. And that's the object of the message today. Come on, give him a big hand. He's worthy of praise. Praise the Lord. I love you. We'll do this next week, and they're starting baptisms. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus and Pastor John one more time. Pastor John does do a lot of push-ups, y'all. He's pretty ripped. 
but we do have several baptisms. And uh, listen, I'll just say this before the screen gets all the way up. Um, if you've never made a, a step to get baptized, you've been saved, you made a decision to follow Christ, we would encourage you to do it. It's a public confession of what the Lord's done on the inside. But Pastor Cole, introduce everybody. Yeah, amen. Hey, we have a reason to celebrate this morning. We have six teenagers, one adult that want to uh, get baptized and give their life to, the, to Christ. And so, man, we're super excited for them. And so, real fast, would you tell us your name and why you're getting baptized this morning? Um, my name is Caden Green, and I'm getting baptized because I've decided to have Jesus Christ lead my life and show me the way to go, and I'm ready to get closer to him. Amen. If you step down there, we're going to baptize you. Super proud of you, man. If you would just extend a hand this morning as we pray over these teens. Lord, we just thank you right now for Caden, Lord, everything that you've done in his life. And Lord, we just pray, God, blessing and prosperity, Lord, that every sin struggle would be drowned in this water and that he would come up a new creation in Christ. And so today we say we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, be filled. Amen. Amen. You tell us your name and why you're getting baptized this morning. My name's Dominic Robinson, and uh, it's just I want it's time for me to get closer to God, and I wouldn't be able to do this without CMA and my mom. Well, hey man, we're super proud of you. Extend a hand as we pray for Dominic this morning. God, we thank you. Lord, for Dominic and everything that you've done in his life. And Lord, today we pray that it would be just a changing moment for him, that he would look back and that his life would never be the same. And so today we say that we baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. You tell us your name and why you're getting baptized. My name is Montgomery Phelps, and I'm getting baptized to be closer with the Lord. Amen. We're proud of you. Lord, we just pray over Montgomery this morning. God, just a, a blessing. Lord, that you would come, you would move in his heart and in his life. And Lord, that his life would never be the same. And today we say we baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Be blessed and be filled. Amen. All right, you tell us your name and why you're getting baptized. Uh, my name is Lindsay, and I'm just ready to fully surrender my life to God and really truly live for Him. Amen. We're so proud of you. Take a step down here. Extend a hand for Lindsay this morning. God, we thank you for everything that you have done in her life. And Lord, we do declare that this would be a day of total surrender for her. God, that she would let go of anything and everything that has been holding her back. And Lord, that she would look forward to the future that you have for her. And so, Lord, today we say we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, be blessed, be filled. All right, tell us your name and why you're getting baptized. My name is Faye, and I'm ready to take the next step in my relationship with the Lord. Amen. We're super proud of you, too. Lord, we thank you, God, for Faye, for everything that you have been doing in her life. And Lord, we do just declare that the hand of the enemy is broken. God, that she would walk away today free, Lord, and, and just, God, that you would move in her life in a miraculous way. And so, Lord, we just pray today that you would bless her. And we say we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, 
Be blessed. Be filled. Amen. All right, tell us your name and why you're getting baptized this morning. My name is Kylie, and I'm getting baptized to devote my life to God and follow His path He has for me. Amen. We'll take a step down there. Lord, we thank you for Kylie, for everything that you have done in her life. Lord, that she's ready to take that next step. And so, God, we pray a blessing over her. Lord, that every issue and sin would be drowned in this water today. And she would come up in freedom as a new creation in Christ. And so, Lord, today we say we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, we've got one more here today. Come on out. You tell us your name and why you're getting baptized this morning. My name's Ryan, and uh, I'm just tired of living the lifestyle that I've been living all my life. And here I am to give it over to God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Extend a hand this morning. God, we thank you so much for, for Ryan, Lord, and everything that you've done in his life. And Lord, we pray. God, that every issue, every problem, every addiction, the attacks of the enemy, God, we pray that those things would be broken and drowned in Jesus' name. And today we say we baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, be filled. Come on, church, let's make some noise for the Lord this morning. Amen. Hey, let's, let's stand on our feet. We are so glad that you came out this morning. Uh, remember, when you go home today, do what you're going to do. But before you go to bed, spend time with the Lord. Get in His presence. Our prayer team is coming up here now. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. If you need to make a step in following Christ, I'll be over here at the cross. I would love to pray with you. Remember, on your way out, if you're, if you're a guest, you can drop off your guest card in the Connect Room. You can drop off your tithes and offerings on your way out. But listen, God bless you. You are dismissed. Our prayer team is up here if you need any prayer.